Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, a world leader in the design, manufacture, and service of aircraft and helicopter engines and auxiliary power units. PrattWhitney.com TA Connections, the industry's most comprehensive airline lodging and crew logistics program. TAConnections.com And Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. SeaburyCapital.com We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com Happy New Year. Welcome to Airlines Confidential. This is Chris Chimes. We're glad you're with us. Hope you've had an enjoyable holiday. And I'm sure some of our listeners had some unenjoyable moments with air travel, whether because they were flying uh, for work as their job or flying as a passenger. Uh, ben, did you hit the skies over the holidays? Actually, we didn't travel by airplane this holiday. We drove because we went to see family in a couple different places all within a few hours. So driving was more practical. But watching the news and watching what was going on, I have to say I was kind of happy that we chose not to fly this time. We flew over Thanksgiving when everything seemed to work well and didn't this time and maybe just got lucky both times in a sense. But Chris, I saw that you were in New York doing one of those bucket list items. Yeah, Carnival sponsored the uh, ball drop on New Year's Eve. Uh, and before uh, New Year's, we had family coming and going in and out of Dallas. And I did Dallas to New York and New York to Miami. We were lucky the Chimes family didn't have any incidents of weather impact on air travel, uh, Omicron, or any other illness of crew. So... Um, all the comings and goings were unimpacted, but um, I know a lot of a lot of our listeners probably can't say the same. So, in any event, uh, Carnival sponsored that iconic ball drop at, at Times Square on New Year's Eve, and then I was there with as our president, Christine Duffy, uh, flipped the switch. The cruise industry typically kicks off its booking season at the first of the year. We call it Wave, and we launched our new quote Thunderstruck campaign over the holidays just in time, unfortunately, for the CDC to advise people not to cruise. So it was somewhat frustrating since at Carnival, our guests and our crew are vaccinated, they are tested before they board, and they wear masks in all indoor venues of the ship. And the incident rates on our ships pale in comparison to the cases in virtually all regions and localities in the U.S. And there were, I think, 80,000 people at AT&T Stadium indoors without masks or protocols watching a football game on New Year's Eve, and that was okay, apparently. But in any case, we've got a lot of work to do still to um, keep to our protocols and keep our guests and our crew safe, and that's what we intend to do. Well, that sounds right, Chris, and keeping crews safe and keeping customers safe is important for the whole travel industry. You know, this isn't Cruise Lines Confidential, but I want to say I was perplexed by the CDC ruling that they picked on cruise lines, but didn't talk, like you said, about stadiums or hotels or other places where people can, at least in the hotel case, can go off into a room on their own or eat dinner in a bigger room where they could keep people isolated or, or separated, I mean, and things. And the vaccine rules, it just seemed odd to me that they sort of picked on the cruise industry because maybe there were some cases that sort of overshone the statistics, I guess. Yeah, I mean, look, 
that was the the word that our trade association CLIA used, which was perplexed. Um, we have no reason to want to pick fights with the CDC. It's in our interest to work constructively with them, and that's what we intend to do, and to show them and to show regulators at the state and local level, our destinations we visit, that we're doing everything possible to promote public health, and we're doing more than probably any other sector, um, with the exception of you know, healthcare, hospitals, those kinds of things. But we'd like to think that what we're doing provides the basis for more return to normal kinds of activities, whether it be you know, how universities reconvene in the, for the spring semester or whatever it might be. So we'll have to see. But certainly the airline industry also was impacted by Omicron, as I know I saw you on TV several times over the holidays talking about this. Well, yeah, that's right. Certainly Omicron has had an impact on air travel, higher COVID rates amongst airline employees, especially it seems. And then you combine that with bad weather in certain parts of the country, and there were just thousands of flight cancellations. Chris, as you know from working in the industry, this is a period of time when airlines often see higher sick call rates And then you combine that with the fast-spreading variant going on, and airlines are dealing with just a lot of people calling in. The more proactive airlines are at least canceling days in advance, which still isn't great if you're on one of those flights, but it gives people at least some time to react. And the total number of cancellations are still relatively small compared to the number of flights being flown. But if you're on a flight that cancels, that doesn't really matter to you, right? Yeah. And then, of course, the media is going to run their daily tote boards. Um, That's sometimes about all they can process. Um, You know, they're trying to look a little more thoughtfully at some of the issues. I mean, but, you know, those headlines like Jetstream cancels flights, that kind of caught my attention as well. And and then I guess it was Alaska who was actually asking their passengers to postpone non-essential travel. So none of that was the way I think airlines wanted to end the year or start the year. Well, I think that's right. And just a few days ago, Spirit announced they were going to pay their flight attendants triple pay to come in and work, you know, if they were well enough to come work. To me, That's maybe a smart thing to do to get through the holidays with as many staff as you can. But it's also a bit of a sort of a tell, if you will, that they believe some people were staying home when they really weren't sick, right? Because they don't want to pay someone triple to come in and work sick. They're saying, but if you're home and you're not sick, please come in. I thought that was kind of strange, actually. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, so listeners, we've got an interesting interview coming up with Michael Bell of the search firm Corn Ferry. Michael's probably the leading, most respected executive recruiter in the aviation industry. He's going to share some very insightful perspectives on the state of brain power and leadership in the business. But first, Chris and I are going to recap 2021 and make some predictions about 2022. But not before we thank Pratt & Whitney a world leader in the design, manufacture, and service of aircraft and helicopter engines and auxiliary power units. Pratt & Whitney has the broadest and deepest experience in all forms of aircraft propulsion. To learn more about their 95 years of innovation, I guess maybe now 96 of innovation, and how they power the future of flight, visit prattwhitney.com. 
Chris, when you joined the show last year, you suggested that we incorporate guests on the show, which I totally embraced. No one has a Rolodex anymore, but we've both been working our networks and contact lists to put together a pretty good lineup. I don't want us to pick favorites, but I'm wondering which guests you might have learned the most from. You're right. I'm not going to pick a favorite, but I always learn something from every interaction that I had with Bob Crandall when I worked for him and our conversation with him last spring was no different. He has that uncanny ability to speak the truth succinctly and to distill complicated topics into a very obvious conclusion. And then I think the interview I was most surprised by was our conversation with Dave Dixon, the former airline audit chair at Ernst & Young. While he was talking about the industry from an accountant's point of view, he really underscored what I tell young people as they're starting their careers. I always stress it's really important to learn the business of the business. Understand how your organization generates revenue, how it spends money, how it makes money. You can't even be an effective HR manager or an operations leader or a company spokesman if you don't understand the business you're working in. And his conversation really stressed how important that is. Two great picks. The ones that stood out really well to me, even though we've had lots of great guests, obviously, are the one we did with Helene Becker. The fact that she knows so much about the industry and that she speaks to so many leaders in the industry and was able to talk with such confidence and competence about the state of the industry when she came on, I think surprised a lot of our listeners who didn't even know that there are jobs like Helene's that exist. And so I think she was great. Jerry Glass, I thought, did a great job as always. Um, labor in the industry is so important. Many of our listeners, are, I'm, I'm sure, are covered by collectively bargained agreements. And Jerry's sort of in, been involved in lots of those. And the very practical way he, throughout his career, has tried to balance the needs of companies and the needs of labor groups, I think has been great. And he pushed that through, I thought, in a great way. And then the last one I'll um, mention is the interview with David Nealman. We talked largely about Breeze, his new airline, but I thought he gave a great understanding of his career from starting Little Morris Air and then WestJet, and then JetBlue, then going down to Brazil with Azul. And I think at some point, history is going to look back on David Nealman, if, if history already isn't, and saying what an amazingly impactful and important guy he has been to this industry. And I thought his interview was just terrific, too. But I probably could go on with lots of the other people we interviewed as well and don't want to sound like we're just picking favorites here, but those are the ones that stuck most with me. Yeah, no, I agree. Those are all good uh, observations as well on those three. Um, we really have lucked out in that um, a lot of our former colleagues, peers, uh, friends have joined us and have been very uh, forthcoming with not just their time, but also their point of view and their expertise and their insights. So uh, we want to thank them as we start the new year and look forward to some other interesting conversations in 2022. And while we're on the topic of interviews, a year ago, we were measuring our listener downloads and averaging on a good week about 2,500 downloads a week. As we've moved to our new format, we've seen some very strong double-digit growth. Our top program of the year featured the interview with Andrew Levy from Avello Airlines with 
5,500 downloads. Followed closely by American Airlines Chief Commercial Officer Vasu Raja uh, with well over 5,000. But we had 10 shows with more than 4,000 downloads each and 20 shows with more than 3,500 downloads each. That's really terrific stuff. And as we grow our listener base, it includes not just regular listeners in the U.S., but a growing global audience as well, and more and more thoughtful questions and comments, too. So now we need to keep raising the bar. So, Ben, let's uh, ask another look back question. Who's your airline person of the year for 2021? I'm going to give that one to Gary Kelly. Gary Kelly ran Southwest for many, many years in the shadows of such an iconic figure as Herb Kelleher. And yet he did it in his own way. He kept Southwest growing, keeping the culture strong, moving it positively forward. His retirement this year, we had some other retirements as well, I think is bigger news than some of the other retirements in part because the company is so iconic, even more so than some others in our industry. And Gary was such a steady hand for so long. So Gary Kelly is my airline person of the year. Chris, what about you? Um, I like the Gary Kelly um, nomination. I'm going to go with Scott Kirby. Um, And we've been talking multiple times over the past year, pointing out the leadership Scott and United have shown on a very on a variety of issues, but um, you know Scott wasn't afraid to be bold. He went up to Capitol Hill and held his own when uh, being attacked in front of the cameras about vaccinations and op- other operational issues. And um, he wasn't afraid to to be alone in his point of view and to see who would follow. But um, you know that's the mark of a leader, and I. Give, uh, give Scott very high marks for how United did this past year. I think that's a great call as well. United clearly in the last year or two under Scott's leadership has changed their positioning from a somewhat stodgy, slow-moving company to a very forward-looking, positive-thinking company. I think that's right. And you can feel it with their folks, too. Their, their people seem much more excited about the direction, even with the rather dreary two years of COVID, when you talk to crew um, or talk to people who work there, they seem very optimistic about the direction of the company and kind of waking up every morning knowing what they need to get done. So that's always great. Uh, Ben, then let's put on some binoculars. Make a prediction for 2022. Well, I'm going to make two predictions if I can. One is that we're going to wear masks on airplanes all year. I'm not excited about that prediction. I don't like that prediction, but I think it's going to happen. I think Omicron is going to move into another variant of something. And I think that there's going to be too much pressure to say on airplanes in those closed tubes, we just have to keep wearing masks. And I'm going to be disappointed if a year from now, when I hope to hit the skies for Christmas holidays, I have to wear a mask again. But I think that's likely. The second prediction I'll make is that at some point in the year, one of the big airline CEOs is going to say, okay, we understand not all business traffic is going to come back. A lot of it is, but not all of it. So let's talk about what that means for my business. 
I think those are the two predictions I'm going to make for 2022. Mm -hmm. I know you probably want me to be more optimistic, <laughs> but I'll let you be the optimistic no, one. Th those, are, those, are, those are bold ones. And on the masks on my travel over the last week, uh, I was really surprised when there was universal acceptance and, and following the, the mandate, but many more people had KN95s on. That was the majority of the passengers coming on was a KN95 or an N95, but a higher quality mask. So they are processing what the CDC and others are saying and masking up for their own safety. I'm going to predict this doesn't, this isn't probably very bold. It just seems kind of obvious, but I think there's going to be a shakeout in the regional industry. I just don't see how uh, the lack of pilots that we keep hearing about and seeing is sustainable. I think there's going to be fewer carriers feeding the main line. I think you're going to see the, the big three carriers focus a little more specifically on who does the best job for them and perhaps consolidate their uh, regional feed to fewer carriers. That's been a trend already. But I think uh, you're going to see more service uh, cutbacks to smaller communities, whether it be them going from two to one uh, express carriers or fewer uh, flights a day from a incumbent. But I think uh, that's just going to be a continuing trend, is, is especially on the very smaller side of the of the marketplace, it's just not sustainable to be using pilot resources with a couple flights a day into very small towns. I think that makes a lot of sense, Chris. Now, thinking about what we just said, wearing masks, business not coming back, mergers and small cities losing service. That's a little bit of a downer from both of us. Let me also say, Chris, I know I've already done two predictions, but I will also predict that we're going to have a much stronger traffic year in 2022. I think business traffic will be higher in 2022 than 2021, just not back to where it was in 2019. And I think there's a good chance that multiple airlines will make money at least in parts of the year, if not the whole year next year. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think, you know, most carriers are, are capable of being profitable in 2022. And it might be because they make some of these tough decisions that we just talked about. Those, those kinds of things aren't in spite of, but the result of their desire to be uh, profitable again in 2022 and to run the business in the way it needs to be run. Anyway, we'll be right back with Michael Bell from Corn Ferry. But let's start the new year off by also thanking Seabury Capital Group, the specialty finance and investment banking firm, advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, and financial services and technologies. Seabury Capital Group's widely respected team has superior industry knowledge and an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach at seaburycapital.com. We're very excited to welcome Michael Bell to the show. Michael is the senior partner of aviation practice at Corn Ferry, and he's one of the best known airline recruiters in the world. So Michael, please tell us about your background and how you became one of aviation's leading recruiters. Oh, well, that's a very kind introduction, Ben, and I'm delighted to be on, on Airlines Confidential. Thank you for the opportunity to, to both of you. 
Well, I, I, amazingly, I think I'm coming on 30 years doing this. It's been a long time. I, I actually um, was a management consultant. I was busy working away at McKinsey and Company, and I got a call uh, about an opportunity to be a headhunter. And I thought, well, what's that? It actually didn't appeal to me because I didn't understand the profession. But my curiosity got the better of me. And I said, well, I, I'm going to just, you know, uh, take a chance and listen. And I liked what I saw. You know, at the time I was working 80 hours a week, traveling endlessly, uh, spending time at client sites and the opportunity to improve my lifestyle, uh, work a little less hard uh, was uh, was very appealing and, and, and to work with senior level uh, people uh, across across an industry. So it was, that was that's how I got into the business. That was uh, almost 30 years ago. And always in aviation, Michael? No, uh, actually, when I came in, they asked me, well, where would you like to focus? And I said, well, how about uh, asset management, financial asset management? And, and that's because they had a hole there. But what happened about three months into my uh, tenure, this is at my former firm up in Toronto, they got a search for the CEO of the Greater Toronto Airports Authority as the Canadian airports were being quasi-privatized. And uh, it was a CEO search. And I said, well, I know something about airplanes. I'm an aviation hobbyist growing up, much like you know, you guys like airplanes. So I said, I, I know a little bit about this. And lo and behold, it, uh, it was my first search in aviation. I've since done that search four times. And, and then I wrote to our CEO and I said, hey, you know, uh, we don't have an aviation practice. How about I establish one and recruit some people internally to, to be part of it? And he said, go do it. And, and that was the genesis. So it might be interesting for our listeners to get a, a better sense of the range of the searches you do, both by industry, aviation means a lot of things, and also at what level of management. Yeah, it, it's uh, there's a, a lot not understood about that. And, and actually, in, in part, the reason why about five years ago, I moved from my former firm to, to Corn Ferry. So we at Corn Ferry actually do work in three major areas. We do executive search, which is traditionally what you know, recruiters are known for, and that's typically vice president, director level, and above recruitment. We also do mid-management recruitment and even frontline employee recruitment, recruitment process outsourcing, as it's often called. It could be a project, it could be an entire organization. And, you know, recently we helped Andrew Avella recruit the entire organization, uh, pilots, flight attendants, all the way up to C-suite executives, uh, which was a real honor to help pulled our whole organization together. And then the third thing that we do is we have an advisory business, which is about 40% of our revenues. And that's just human capital consulting, nothing to do with talent acquisition, just things like comp and exec comp, org design, coaching, cultural evolution, et cetera. So it's a, it's a more integrated approach. Personally, I, you know, the work I, I hands-on do myself tends to be director level and above, but as a firm, we do the whole thing. That's great that you do all of that, Michael, and span the range of so many different jobs in this industry. So let's start at the top. And what is your view of senior management talent in the airline industry today? Are there enough qualified people to run all the airlines around the world? You know, get asked this question a lot about how airline talent is seen. And let me just take 30 seconds step back as well. I, I should have defined when I mentioned in our practice, we, we do work beyond airlines because we consider it an aviation practice, not just airlines. So it's airlines, aviation services, which is the whole value chain, like leasing, ground handling, MRO, et cetera. We do a lot of work in airports and also on the OEM side. But I bring that up because 
much of the activity and frankly, much of the profitability, as you guys know well, is not in the airlines proper. It's in, it's in that uh, ecosystem, if you will. But I would tell you that airline talent is sought a lot. You know, you can't, uh, you'd be surprised how often I get calls from colleagues internally from other practice areas saying, hey, our clients indicated an airline and in, uh, interest in airline executives. And the reason for that is because it's a tough business, right? I mean, this uh, highly cyclical, seasonal, uh, very regulated, uh, low margin business that is subject to a huge number of externalities, for example, COVID or the many uh, pandemics, epidemics that came before that, spiking fuel prices, 9-11, terrorism, you, you name it. So it's it's a tough business. And I think it develops very good executives as a result. And some of the less, let's say, volatile businesses like people that are trained in, in the sector. So we get a lot of requests for, for management talent because I think it's highly sought. So you talked about doing a, a lot of frontline search work, which is very important in this industry. As we know, they, they're the, the backbone of the business. How has the shortage of workers everywhere affected how you go about doing this? Yeah, you know, if I stratified, I'd say we don't really have a shortage issue at the executive and even mid-management levels. Can I tell you that at that level, it's getting harder? It is. There have been departures in the business that's complicated life a little bit, and I can talk about that a little bit later and why, why we see that happening. And it's more competitive. Let's say the number of opportunities relative to the number of executives or professionals that we seek at the senior and mid-management levels, you know, that is out of balance. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a seller's market for talent at those levels. The real issue, of course, as you point out, Chris, is, is at the front line, right? And that's where pilots in particular and mechanics, I think secondary, it's, it's, it's an issue. And even though we don't per se specialize in pilot recruitment, we're getting a lot of calls from established clients saying, hey, can you help us with this? You know, we need to recruit one, two, 700 pilots over the next several years. And, and we are really running out of avenues to, to find the right people. So it's something we are, we are trying to address as a capability, if you will, because everyone's running into that same issue and it's particularly around those two domains. Well, Michael, you mentioned that you've been at this role for 30 years now. How has the search for industry talent changed over the last 20 or 30 years or so? Are you looking for the same kinds of people today or has this changed a lot? Yeah, fair question, Ben. And I, and I think it has evolved. I, I, I think if you really dial back and look back as who was running airlines, and I'll focus this more particularly on airlines, back in the 60s, 70s, maybe even early 80s, it was operators, right? I mean, the tradition was that airports were run by retired uh, U.S. Air Force Base uh, leaders and airlines were run by, by pilots. And that was sort of the credibility factor is you had to sort of know how to fly planes and lead a pilot workforce. And truthfully, we rarely see that nowadays. I mean, do people with an operating background rise to the top of airlines? They do, but it's really the vast minority. And the shift that we've seen is that operations has become what we consider pretty much a hygiene factor. In other words, you need to do it right to be in the game, both safely uh, in compliance with, with regulations and operationally integral and at low cost, but that's not enough. Really, the game is won and lost more on the commercial and financial side of the house. And Ben, you're a great example of that. I think, you know, you hit your stride as a exec in your own career 
at a time when that pivot was happening and airlines were realizing that the game was won and lost in the commercial marketplace in areas like pricing and revenue management and network planning. And then over the past decade or so, more around ancillaries and e-commerce and owning the customer relationship. Uh, finance, of course, is, is consistently been an area that uh, that airline execs have come from. I think it's even more sought nowadays. And then surprisingly, the law, right? And you look around at many of the leaders in the industry, you know, whether it's a Richard Anderson or Robert Ayling and his day, Herb Kelleher, they're lawyers. And you may say, well, why are lawyers sought to run airlines? It's it's not that they're sought out per se, but because they get so much exposure inside an airline, everything in, in an airline touches the law, whether it's a regulatory issue, uh, collective bargaining agreement, M&A activity, mergers and acquisitions, uh, and the associated ramifications around labor relations, for example. It's a very legally intensive business. So people like those I mentioned, they get exposed to the totality of the business and then they end up uh, getting promoted to president and ultimately CEO roles. So so that's been the pivot that we've seen. I'll also say one thing is that with the advent of new airlines, new ultra low fare carriers, a lot of people have entered the industry from outside, not so much from other industries, but just as founders, right? You look around like a Tony Fernandez coming in or equivalents to Tony uh, at AirAsia, they didn't come with an airline background, but they saw an opportunity to change the industry. And so I think they have had a much lower allegiance to airline executives. They're just looking for good talent. And that's changed the kind of people that we're being uh, asked to recruit for. Well, we'll be right back with more of our conversation with Michael Bell from Corn Ferry. TA Connections partners with more than 140 aviation and cruise line companies and hundreds of thousands of hotels worldwide. They monitor and track room utilization to ensure you get the most out of the rooms you buy and you only pay for what you consume, which means enhanced operations and a true savings to your organization. Learn more at taconnections.com. TA Connections is a fleet core company and the world's leading provider of technology and services for crew and passenger logistics management. We're talking to Michael Bell from Corn Ferry. Michael, I'm going to go back to a couple of things you said uh, in the first part of the interview and, and ask you to elaborate a little bit more. What other industries are providing good talent for aviation to recruit from? And on the flip side, what industries are specifically, you think, trying to poach airline talent? Well, not surprisingly, I think it's one of the same set of industries in both directions, right? So we see e-commerce companies like Amazon and the like building up aviation capability because they're trying to get control of their supply chain. And they're coming after a lot of, of, of airline talents. If you ask yourself today, I mean, who is the biggest threat to some of the major U.S. carriers in terms of picking off their talent, it's not each other. It's companies like Amazon, right? And they're paying well and giving them the opportunity to go into high growth type situations where they get to create something. So I think that's a threat to airlines. It's an opportunity for for airline execs to go there. Of course, there are the adjacent sectors like hotel, car rental, cruise, which have a lot of similarities in the sense that they are uh, B2C, to some degree B2B, they're asset intensive, they're people intensive, they're global, they're multi-site, they leverage some of the same capabilities around to some degree network planning, but certainly revenue management, 
ownership of the customer relationship, cross-selling additional services. So we're seeing those industries, uh, and they've been doing it for quite some time, but increasingly target airline execs. And not surprisingly, as many airline people went there, or those industries developed capabilities in those areas, they're also now sometimes feeding the airlines back the other way, particularly when airlines, I think, are trying to renew and refresh some of their capability in, in those domains. But those would be the big ones, Chris. Well, Michael, in businesses around the country, one of the big efforts over the last number of years in a positive sense is to support better diversity in the senior management ranks, not only in the frontline ranks. What do you think the airline industry specifically can do better to support this? And how can you at Corn Ferry help them? Well, I think the good news around that, Ben, is that airlines and other aviation companies are taking it seriously. Uh, We uh, led a study with the major industry associations, not just in airlines, but across all elements of the value chain called Soaring Through the Glass Ceiling a couple of years ago. And we prescribed some very specific actions that the industry can take, both structural and behavioral. Structural are things like mandating diverse slates. Behavioral are individual changes in behavior that leaders or specific executives can do. Uh, to model the right kind of environments to attract women and and, uh, and diverse executives in, into their ranks. But amazingly, the, the, the number one thing people said when we asked them this question was promote women. I know it sounds incredibly simplistic to say that, but the, the number one driver of women's willingness to enter and stay in the aviation industry is seeing other women in those positions. And amazingly, this industry has been on so long and we've had females running airlines all around the world. We've never had a U.S. major led by a woman, which is really quite, quite remarkable. And I often ask people this question. I said, which do you think will happen first? The first female U.S. country president or the first female U.S. major airline CEO? (laughs) You don't want to hear the answer around that one. So I, I think it's just a matter of doing it. And, and I think we're on our way. You look around and you see Joanna Garrity promoted to president at JetBlue. I mean, she's not the CEO, but she's clearly the heir apparent. And I think once we see women in that top job, others will follow and uh, floodgates will open. And finally, we'll rectify that, that issue at the very top of, of airlines around, around the country. So I think we've all read more than our share of coverage about the great American resignation Apply that to the airline business right now. What are you seeing as far as burnout uh, at the executive level? We know a lot of frontline employees took packages earlier this year or, or were furloughed and just didn't come back. But what's been the impact on the aviation business? Yeah, it's definitely at work. I, I actually think it's something bigger than just the pandemic. Um, my view is that the definition of work and how people define employment is evolving, right? Used to be way back, you know, you joined one company and you stayed with them for for that company for years. And I remember after uh, Leadership 7.5, which was a cost-cutting program at Delta, the employees felt like Delta had sort of changed that contract and broken the lifetime employment thing. Well, that was years ago. Uh, Obviously, Delta's a great employer today, but I think just given this what's podcast going on is in society, produced by mass media. individuals, whether at the front line or at the very top, are just rethinking how they define employment for themselves, how they define earning income. And that notion of you join a company 
is changing. I think more and pe more people are, are not necessarily retiring, but are saying, hey, you know what? I think I'll just be self-employed and let myself go do project work here and there. And that maybe gives me more flexibility. I actually worry, to your point about diversity, that that evolution and our, and our promotion of diversity is actually perversely hurting the issue around promoting women and, and, uh, and, and uh, diverse executives and minorities. Let me explain what I mean. With more and more women and diverse executives sought for board roles, I think many women and diverse executives are sitting there going, well, you know what, maybe I'll just take early retirement in my early 50s and, and go plural. Just build a portfolio of boards. I can probably make as much, if not more, income, not have to go to work every day, not be bound to you know a particular place of employment and enjoy my life a little bit more. So ironically, in the spirit of promoting women um, into boards and same with the minority executives, we might be actually making it more difficult to put them into executive roles because we're changing the kind of portfolios of, of employment that they're seeking. Well, Michael, that's fascinating, actually, in linking those ideas together. I never thought of the idea of sort of building a portfolio career as being threatening to the diversity efforts. But what you say makes perfect sense. And I actually hope you're wrong about that in terms of getting uh, our first female airline CEO. <laughs> well, you know, it's I look around and I see women in their 40s and 50s saying, hey, this could actually be better than you know, plugging away and hoping I'm going to get promoted. And, you know, it gives them flexibility to spend more time with family or with their spouse or, or whatever. So, and, and it's happening early. I mean, these are not uh, new retirees, just, you know, because of course, boards are looking to place women and sometimes they're placing them in their forties and fifties, not in their sixties. So it's, uh, it's an issue, I think. Well, that makes sense. Beyond this, where do you see the biggest recruiting challenges over the next few years? What are airlines really going to need that maybe they don't have enough of yet? Yeah, thanks, Ben. I, I believe that it is more around the digital and digital transformation arena that the biggest challenge is going to come. You know, can we find enough capable airline executives or professionals that know the domain? I, I think we can. They're there. They're in the business, whether it's for flight ops or technical operations or revenue management. Those people are out there. But the battlefield, as we talked about earlier, had shifted from operations to commercial. And now even in the commercial world, it's really shifting much more towards the digital arena. And I'm not convinced that that talent base exists within the airlines. It's there in part, and there are some companies that are more innovative than others, maybe those that grew up as digital companies. You look, for example, I talked about Tony Fernandez. You know, they pivoted during the pandemic to say, well, maybe we're not going to be an airline. Maybe we're just going to be a super app and really be the place people come for a host of, of, uh, of needs through our digital platform. They are doing that. I'm not sure that every airline has that capability in-house. So when they turn to uh, seek that talent from the digital world, I'm not convinced that digital executives or professionals see airlines as the first place to go to work for that, right? They're looking for a different kind of lifestyle. They don't see airlines as being the best place to make money, they see it as a bit of a difficult industry in and out of chapter 11 and go, oh, yeah, you know what, I'll just think I'll stay on the technology side. So that's my biggest concern is that supply demand imbalance in that particular area. So Michael, let's talk about uh, Michael for a second. How do you assess your own batting average as far as placement and 
finding talent, any inside baseball story you want to share with a, a great hire or a flame out that you weren't expecting? Yeah, no, thanks for that. And um, I can cite a couple of examples, and I think they're far enough in the past, probably okay to talk about them. Uh, you know, I look back and I say a lesson learned around um, n- not taking no for an answer in some ways or being persistent if you really believe you have the right person is, is Richard Anderson. Richard uh, was on the board of Delta while we were doing the CEO search. And um, initially, Richard said no. I think he was working at United Healthcare and had sort of escaped all the issues of the airline industry, was doing very well professionally, financially, and maybe had a better lifestyle. But somewhere there in the back of his head, that sort of appeal to get back into the industry and really transform Delta, an iconic brand in the business, was quite alluring. But it required some persistence, frankly, on his part and our part to make that happen. And of course, it ended up being a game changer for Delta and set the stage for much of their success going forward. So I think to me, the lesson learned is if you really believe you have the right person, don't let up and really work hard to uh, to convince them to come. And then I'll say on the flip side, sometimes I think you can be a little too convincing. And I'll, I'll give you a quick story about a gentleman called Bill Meany. Some of you may know he's left the industry, but Bill at the time was... Um, chief commercial officer for Swissair, and he's a very well-traveled American, uh, incredibly smart and articulate guy. And we were doing the search for the CEO of Star Alliance, the Global Airline Alliance, who was looking to, to bring in their really their first permanent CEO, uh, who wasn't just a project manager. And the, uh, the chief executive board kind of fell in love with Bill because he's a visionary, strategic guy and had all these ideas about what you could do with Star. Maybe you could start a Star airline and have a Star fleet, et cetera. And they said, OK, that's the guy. Go get him. And I remember a, a quick anecdote. Bill was in um, Johannesburg and he was heading, heading from his office at South African Airways to, um, to the airport. And he wasn't convinced, but he was intrigued. And he said, Michael, I've, I've got a 25-minute ride out to Jan Smuts Airport. So that's how much time you've got to convince me. I've got two tickets in my uh, breast pockets here. One is back to Zurich, and and that's if I say no. And the other one is to Mexico City, where the Star Alliance board was meeting, and that's if I say yes. So you've got 25 minutes to convince me to take the job. And I worked it, and I worked it. And by the time he got to the airport, he decided to take the ticket to Mexico City. Well, three months later, Bill quit. And he quit because the job wasn't quite what he thought it was going to be. So it wasn't because he wasn't a great guy. But sometimes being persistent can be a little, um, uh, can, can set you up for a problem if you've over-recruited somebody or the role isn't exactly what you, what you thought. So, you know, it's just, uh, I'd say persistence, but, but being absolutely sure that everyone knows what they're getting into on both sides, if you will. Those are great stories, Michael, and thanks for sharing those too. I certainly agree with you on the Richard Anderson hire. That was a terrific one and a game changer for the industry, like you said. Michael, I'd like to ask another question now, which is for someone who's in the industry today but wants a new role, or someone who's not in the industry, but maybe listening to this podcast and says, you know, I'd like to get into the airline industry. What advice would you give these people? Well, you know, as, as much as the airline industry is troubled, it's a great business. And um, it is a very rewarding business. I'm sure you guys feel that way from your, your time in it. It's an exciting business. We find that many people that leave 
miss it. You know, I'll tell you another quick anecdote. Um, we, there was a gentleman who who left uh, Northwest to go to uh, United Healthcare, and he was running their their ops functions. And he actually said, "What's an ops center in an, in a HMO?" And it is the call centers. And there was a big brownout in the Northeast, and um, he told me a little anecdote when I was trying to recruit him back to the airlines about a year into his tenure. He said, "You know, Michael, they." Uh, when the brownout happened, I, I called our team together and I said, we'll put the emergency plan into action. And they kind of looked at me quizzical, like, why are you saying that? Like, what emergency plan? Well, you know, our, our call centers are down. And they said, Dirk, don't worry about it. They'll call back tomorrow. And it was like all the tumblers fell into place about why the airlines are such an exciting place. Because you can imagine what happens during a brownout at an airline. So it's a fast paced complicated, dynamic, challenging business. So I'd say for those that are in it, it's only going to get more exciting. Stay, have an open mind as to the kind of opportunities people put in front of you. You know, if you're in revenue management, someone says, go run the airport, you know, go run our hub for a while, do it. You're going to learn more and be challenged and and bring that skill set forward. And for those not in the business, you won't regret it. Uh, it's it's, um, it's a, a labor of love, but with huge rewards. So, Michael, this has been a great conversation. We appreciate you joining us. As we wrap up, everyone's talking about the outlook for 2022. Here's your chance to share your thoughts about, you know, is this going to be a busy year for Corn Ferry? What about the industry? How are you feeling about uh, the outlook for 2022? You know, notwithstanding the challenges in the business, the executive search profession is rock and rolling. I'm certain every major firm will post record results this year. And it was amazing. I, you know, you dial back to April 2020 and I sat there and going, oh my God, good heavens. I'm a, I'm a recruiter in the aviation business. I'm toast, right? But since about May or June of 2020, it's just been a secular increase month over month. And our practice is, is booming. I only see that continuing through the balance of the year. You know, Omicron is a consideration, but I, I'm not sure it's going to stop the need that's out there, as we just discussed, because people and, and companies are on the move. And so I think it's going to be a very busy year for the recruitment industry and, and for Corn Ferry in particular, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, Michael, thank you so much. You know, I worked for Gordon Bethune at Continental, and he used to say the sickest patients need the best doctors. So please go find a lot of good doctors for this industry, okay? <laughs> we'll do that. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Michael Bell, for joining us, and we'll be right back with more Airlines Confidential. Promotional support for Airlines Confidential comes from thearchive.net, the hub of the history of commercial aviation with vintage timetables, route maps, brochures, historic flights, terminals, airplane cabins, virtual tours of airline maintenance and training facilities, models, safety cards, and menus, plus special flights and events. Thearchive.net is now boarding. Well, Chris, we've covered a lot of ground this week, and we'll be back next week with our listener questions and finer wine, of course. But for now, let's call it a day. I know you're trying to actually take a well-deserved post-holiday break. Yep, that's the goal after a wacky year, and one that I expect uh, moving forward will be another busy year. But I look forward to picking things back up with you uh, and our listeners next week. Until then, everyone, Happy New Year to you, Ben, and wishing our listeners and the airline industry much success in 2022. On to a great 2022 for all of us. Thanks, everyone. 
This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.